Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined, as always, by my co-host. Very, very sad John Kerry. He tried his best to do the opener and, and screwed it up, but I did too. Words so. are hard, okay? <laughs> uh, today, we are going to have an interesting, not today, this week, we're going to have a little interesting podcasting schedule for you. Uh, today, we're going to talk basically all football, and then we're going to have a special guest coming on in, uh, in the coming days. John, you want to talk a little bit about it? Oh, yeah, it's great. So, yeah, today's football, 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 football. If you're here for anything else, tune out. Um, but coming up soon, we're having the biggest Gonzaga basketball fan west of the Mississippi. No, his last name is not Few. It's Rosenberger, um, a dear friend, John Rosenberger. And we're going to break down storylines for the upcoming Gonzaga basketball season, their current ranking, whether or not it's deserved, what this team is going to look like in the post-Timmy era and what it means for the team going forward. So it's going to be a nice little intro to all those Zag heads out there and uh, really just letting me get really excited about college basketball, which is starting. It's here. Um, So look forward to that. But for now, a little Coyote Picnic. All right, John, we're going to give the people what they want immediately. Today, we are starting this off with some Sound Up Seattle value dogs. Not sponsored by Costco, but done on their behalf. Yeah, this is for them. Yeah, and so we finally, last week, we were off our game. We didn't give the totals for uh, the year, but we finally totaled things back up to give you guys an idea of where we're at. And the bad news is, I am plummeting faster than a rock in a cold pool. Um, these last two weeks have been rough, and I'm looking much, much more human. Tyler, where are we at? Yeah, so as John says he looks human, he's still above 500. He's sitting at Whoop. 12, 10, and 2 with those two being pushes. Um, and your boy, you probably want to be fading me. I am currently 10 and 14. Um, That's not bad. We're Yeah, we're tightening up a little bit. Not awful, not awful. I think one of that comes from... The underdogs only winning five of the potential 14 games. And as we said at the start of this season, slow down, yeah. The underdogs have covered in 53% of their games in most of the past. Um, few, is it few seasons or in general for the last like few decades? That stat yeah. uh, has been for the past like five years, I think it was. Okay, yeah. So not really trending in that direction. So it's been a good pace that we're hitting these the way we are, all things considered. So what we're just saying is we're incredibly talented, and you're welcome for the effort you're getting. Yeah. Um, with that being said, we're here to make it even better this week. Tyler's yeah. crawling out of the neg- negative hole, and I'm here to rebuild the empire that was my uh, plus-minus prior to a couple rough weeks. And thankfully, we don't have to go to the dogs. The dogs are coming to us. There are some very tasty-looking dogs exactly. this week. Um, I'm really excited a couple of mine are so obvious that I'm afraid you're going to take them. But I think I got first pick last week. I got first pick last week. It's all you, buddy. Oh, fantastic. Because the first one is the one I want the most. And this team isn't just part of the well. This team is the well. I've been hitting this team probably every other week since we started doing value dogs. And I swear to God, if they've let me down once, I don't know, remember it. Because every time I go to these guys, they seem to cover or win for me. 
uh, including last week. So, this week, with my first value dog pick, I am taking the Washington Commanders, plus six, against our own Seattle Seahawks. And we don't, you know, we don't focus on that. Focus on the fact that the Commanders are a covering machine. All they do is cover. All they do is get doubted. Their defense is lackluster. Their offense is ho-hum. But Sam Howe and this Washington Commanders offense have put together some unbelievable spread-covering <laughs> comebacks. Um, he has my undying love. He's the Tom Brady of spread-covering. Um, and every single week that they are underdogs, I am pulled like gravity towards the Commanders. So um happy to get that one in. We'll talk about the Seahawks side of that later, but... Uh, plus six. It's a lot of points for a team that wins quite a few games. Man, I feel like you know you're 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 treating this the way that smart people would, and they're t- <laughs> picking, picking the same teams that feel like they're getting gypped every single week, where it's the Commanders, the Colts, and like the Jaguars. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. it feels like you're hitting the AFC South teams and just the Commanders every single <laughs> week, um, which has the, worked out well for you. The obviously. most derided <laughs> teams in the NFL. <laughs> Um, and then there's me just shooting shots in the dark and hoping hoping they stick at all the teams. So with my number one pick, I am going to take the Carolina Panthers. Oh God! Plus three against the Chicago Bears. And the reason that is is because the Panthers don't want to lose, and I don't think the Bears want to win at this point. They're two and seven, or. Yeah, two and seven, and the Panthers are one and eight, I believe, or maybe they're one yeah. and seven and have a bye coming up. Justin Fields is not playing. Fields isn't playing. Will retain the starting job for one more week. Exactly, and I, he's got that one win that he started off with, and has not been looking good ever since. Um, and I just think the Panthers are the fact that they're trying to win. Like they don't have their first round draft pick, they're going to be fighting for this. The Bears get their first round draft pick this upcoming season. Yeah. Like, so in a way, that is motivation for the Bears to win because it would increase the Panthers' draft pick. But this is the ultimate. The Bears don't care weak. They're like, what? Our, one of our picks gets more valuable either way this game goes? Roll out the D-Squad, baby. Yep. Um, so this is purely a vibes-based pick. I think the Panthers are a good enough team to compete with the Bears. Um, they obviously just beat the Texans the other week, which was crazy after watching the Texans duke it out against the Buccaneers last week. Um, so yeah, yeah, we we saw some stuff from the Panthers. Yeah. Uh, their offense, a little energy from their defense. I'm always scared. I, you know, I'd be scared of taking either side of that matchup. Both teams have been so bad throughout the year. But what are you doing? You're taking the points. Yeah. You're taking the points. Guess what? Panthers can lose by one or two and still win the bet. It's the beauty of betting the underdogs. You don't have to owe anything. You're getting points. Um, so I do like that pick. Yeah. It's all you, boss. Okay. With my second pick, I'm going to a team that I had a lot of fun picking against early, but that has been absolutely rolling as of late. Um, I'm taking the Los Angeles Chargers plus three against the Lions of Detroit. Um, couple things here. The Chargers have dominated their last two outings, both against, you know, fairly mediocre competition, but something people are considering is the fact that Austin Eckler is back. The leading touchdown scorer of 2022 and 2021 is back into this offense, and he's already scored three touchdowns in two games. Um, he is, if not the best, and yeah, McCaffrey probably has the best belt still. But if it's not McCaffrey, then it's Eckler, and I don't think there's much argument on the point in terms of value at running back. 
his ability to catch the ball and run the ball in that offense, so important, so big for Justin Herbert. And it's shown these last couple weeks. Their offense looks like we expected it would at the beginning of the year. And their defense, which I still think is trash, has held two straight opponents to under 10 points scored. So put those two things together, and you put it up against a Detroit team that, after starting super hot, has looked more ho-hum in recent weeks. Um, I just think it's good value. I think Detroit's a good team, but I think this Chargers offense is better. Um, and we'll see if Detroit can hang with them this week. Yeah, the, my one qualm with picking that one, and I was looking at it, uh, was I just don't love the Chargers receivers. They like Mike Williams is out, and they don't really have any any names. We were talking during the game on Monday. Uh, they were kind of just checking it down and hoping their running backs and tight ends would get downs. them um, get them extra yards and just kind of run after the catch, um, which worked obviously. But I think the Lions, as a team, have just better weapons. Obviously, Eckler's a big piece of that for the Chargers, and having him back has been big. But I just I was afraid of the Lions' weapons um, and the Chargers' re- regression a little bit after playing a couple of bad teams, making their defense look a little good. That's totally fair. And yeah, yeah I think Eckler was, is going to be the big biggest weapon on the field. And then Amon Ra is number two. That guy's a monster. I think, I think you're forgetting about our boy, the ageless one, Keenan Allen. Um, Are you forgetting about Laporta? Because Laporta's... <sighs> Looked amazing. Laporta has looked amazing. I that okay. There's a real debate to be had there. Laporta might be the best tight end in football. This Jameer Gibbs year. has looked awesome for the Lions the last couple weeks too. Yeah, but Keenan Allen is putting together a very nice year, and people need to always remember when Keenan plays, he is a top ten, top fifteen receiver in the NFL. When he plays is the caveat because he's old and injury prone and misses a ton of time. But when he's on the field, particularly with Justin Herbert at quarterback. He is a really nice weapon, and he's put together a really nice season. He's been healthy so far, um, but when he plays, he's really, really good for them. And you're right. Beyond him, their depth chart receiver gets really skinny, particularly with uh, the fumble issues that Joe Edwards had this year. But uh, Keenan's great, and he's playing, so I wouldn't underestimate the talent of yeah. the receiving core. I, yeah. I only say that because Detroit scared me, not because I don't believe in your pick. You're right. You're right. And Detroit's Detroit's awesome. They've been really good all year. Um, so I could be wrong. Yeah. All right. With my second pick, I'm going with the team that feels like they're going to be red hot for a little while here. I'm going to go with the Raiders plus one against <laughs> the New York Jets. Um, Raiders with a big win last week. And obviously the coaching chains really – heated up their uh, their locker room. And that's kind of what I'm riding on. Again, it's just a vibes-based approach. Um, the Jets did not look good against the Chargers this this last week. And um, the Raiders looked amazing. And I think it's just two teams that are trending in different directions right now. The Raiders do want to win. They're 4-4, four and four, and the Jets are 4-5 and five now, I believe. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, a case of two teams going, you know, Devontae Adams needs to pick it up. And I think this, this new coach has been just like a big energizer bunny for this team. It certainly um, seems that way. Yeah, the fact they won that game with Devontae Adams doing close to nothing was pretty impressive. Uh, I also heard a story, maybe the funniest story I've heard all year, uh, off Bleacher Report talking about how... How he got fired? Oh, no, that was that was funny. But I was thinking, I, it was just a report that ever since his firing, the Raiders locker room has been a, quote, nonstop party, <laughs> which <laughs> I think is just a hilarious way of expressing how much that team hated Josh McDaniels. 
Um, and yeah, they're undefeated in this new era. So, uh, yeah, picking against the Jets, always a good thing. Yeah. Zach Wilson against the Chargers looked like he should have thrown four interceptions and I think he had one or two. So correct. Yeah. And their defense, the touted Jets defense did look more vulnerable. So we'll yeah. see if, uh, those receivers can get the ball moving. Yeah. So Raiders plus one. I like that pick. I like that pick. Yeah. <laughs> that other story's funny too. Um, <laughs> With my last pick, oh man, I was really eyeing Browns Ravens, but after seeing what the Ravens uh, yeah, did, yeah, I couldn't do it. We'll talk about the Ravens. I just can't. So instead, I'm going another direction and going not to my primary well. My primary well is the Washington Commanders, <laughs> but the there's a lot of people at that well. I, I know where else to get a drink of water, and that is my boys, the Jaguars of Jacksonville. There it is, plus three <laughs> against the San Francisco 49ers. Jacksonville has been killing it for several weeks now and i think i think a lot of the experts have recognized this but i don't think the betting public has really realized that they are rounding into form as to what we thought would be a contender in the afc mm-hmm. they started the year so poorly particularly trevor lawrence um and that running game that you know we all had kind of a bad taste in our mouths they are really rounding into form etn has scored Seven touchdowns in four weeks. Um, Trevor Lawrence is moving the ball consistently. Mr. Reliable. He's Mr. Reliable. He is still not hitting the peaks that we saw last year, but he has been very consistent. He has not had any real stinkers in terms of total performance um, so far. And their yeah, receiving core is getting healthy. Their defense is finally looking like that defense we thought it might be coming into the year. Um, I think this Jacksonville team is really dangerous, and the Niners are slumping in a real way. Um, I just think they are so reliant on their skill position guys, and all of them are so injury-prone. McCaffrey and Kittle and Debo, and even, even the quarterback, you know, he just missed time. So I just think, for whatever reason, they're in a spiral. And when you have one team ascending and one team descending, and you can get the ascending team plus the points, you got to take it. Um, Niners are great. This is another one that I could feel silly about in a week, but I could also see this Jacksonville team laying it on the Niners because their defense, their defense has not looked great really since the first couple of weeks. The Niners defense, which is supposed to be one of the best in the NFL, um, is not performing the way we thought they would, particularly pressuring the quarterback. Um, so let's see if uh, Trevor Lawrence can go and get it done. Yeah, I think the Jags are a team that plays to their competition no matter what week it is. Um, and this is a week where they're going to have to step it up, and I think they have that in them. So I, I like it. I saw it, and I was like a little a little scared. But the, the Jags seem like a better team right now than the 49ers, and getting points with them is a nice nice little bonus. Love points, baby. Um, I think... It's official. We might have our first full week of all six, or all six of our total picks being different. Let's go. So with my third and final pick of our Sound of Seattle Value Dogs, I'm going to take the Vikings plus two and a half against I, the Saints. I was looking I was looking hard at that one. <laughs> that one, after Josh Dobbs' recent week, it's like he didn't really even know the offense. And coming in with an extra week of time, yep. able to work into that plan in his, you know... Harvard level education, obviously. That's right. Whatever it is, I know he had a four GPA. Um, yeah, they looked sharp last week. They looked really sharp, um, and they're playing a Saints team that I can't believe is still getting points against anybody that they play against, who's at all mediocre. They all hate Derek Carr. When you, it's like it's the same thing with Josh McDaniels. If your team hates your coach, 
or your quarterback, stay away from that team. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the Vikings, like like we've said about the last few picks, the Vikings are on an upward trend. Um, Hawkinson's been great recently. He's uh, been really solid. Matheson's looked a lot better, too, recently. Matheson, Addison. Um, yeah. And then uh, Jefferson's going to come back soon, and I think working him in, I just think the Vikings are going to be that team that kind of plays well in the back half of the season. I think they're going to make the playoff. I think they're going to make the playoff in the NFC. There's definitely room for them, and yeah, the fact that they won last week with a quarterback that literally just rolled in is insane. And you're right, they should look better offensively this week, and when JJ comes back, that's just going to be a massive step up for them. So uh, get your value while you can. Yeah. So there it is. There's all six value dogs. I just want to give real quick. I've been doing this off and on, but I just saw one I had to hit. The Rancid Dog for this week. Giants plus 16 and a half against... You don't believe in the Giants against the Cowboys? Against the Dallas Cowboys. So real quick, just a couple things to note. Their week one matchup, was it 40 to 3? It was 40 to 0, I believe. Oh my God. So the all-time slacking, which is why you're seeing a line over two touchdowns, which is very rare. Um, but something to note is that was a uh, Giants team at basically full strength. They have Tommy DeVito at quarterback. Daniel Jones, say what you will. He's better than Tommy DeVito. Micah Parsons and that line are going to eat this boy alive. If I was him, I would take whatever money the Giants had given me and I would leave now because this week is going to be gross and 16 and a half, I don't think is even touching it. Wow. I'm not, I haven't made a rancid dog pick all, all season and I'm not going to change that now, but I will say <laughs> 16 and a half points is a lot. So you could expect John to lose another rancid dog, but I am ice cold with my rancid dogs. <laughs> um, yeah, there we go. There we have it. There's our value in rancid dogs for the week. Um, you ready to just hop right into this Seahawks team? Yeah, let's jump into Seahawks week nine. Uh, Do we want to? <laughs> yeah. So this is a yeah, this is a bit of a post mortem. Um, Thirty-seven to three, absolute schlacking by the Baltimore Ravens. Tough look for my value dog last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a tough one. Um, and it went in a couple directions that we expected, and maybe a couple directions that we didn't. Um, First and foremost, Gino really struggled, and we can get into that again. But we asked him for one thing, and one thing only, which was to not to throw an interception. He could have fumbled it three times, and I would have forgave him. But just don't throw a pick, and he threw a pick. He was 13-28 for 160 yards, no touchdowns, obviously, and a pick. Um, on the Baltimore side, their offense looked electric. Their defense looked very energized. They might be the class of the AFC. And I cannot tell you how excited I am for Baltimore-Cincinnati when it ends up rolling around. Um, that's going to be a really good game. But I guess, yeah, Tyler, I don't want to talk about this. What are your thoughts about this horrible, horrible game? Um, not a lot of great thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my thing. The Seahawks had 28 total rushing yards. Hmm. The Ravens had 10 times that. They had 298 rushing yards. Oh, Lord. Um, Lamar, 21 for 26. He had five incompletions. Gino, 13 for 28. He had 15 incompletions. Less than 50% passing completion, which is bad. 
oh, people that don't know. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know had a QBR of 14.5? And I believe if you spike the ball every single down, you have a QBR of 40. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're kidding me. So That's an incredible stat. Gino was very, very bad. And I've been trying not to say the word atrocious very much recently because I was saying it a lot, but he was atrocious this last week. He was. Um, and got to give some credit to that Baltimore defense. They have looked awesome all year. They looked really good against the Hawks. They shut down the run, as you noted. That is what I would say was a little bit less expected, mm-hmm. is our running game had finally been getting going a little bit. But talent's not enough when you don't have a line. And for the love of God, Pete Carroll, can somebody, can anybody invest in this offensive line? Because every time we lose big, the first thing you point to is the play of the offensive line. Gino was getting pressured a lot. Not making excuses for him. He still sucked. But when your quarterback's getting pressured and your running backs have no lanes to run in, bad things are going to happen. And that's exactly what happened today. 37-3. to Yuck. Yeah. The other side of that is Gino, 28 attempts passing. So that's And then uh, the rushing, we only did 15 rushes. So we had 43 total offensive plays. And that speaks to the fact that we weren't sustaining any drives. It's just three and out, three and out. Three and out, three and out. Because all of those rushing attempts, basically all of them, came in the first half. Yeah. Because by the time the second half rolled around, need to throw. it was already throw time. And the fact that Gino only racked up 28 attempts speaks to the fact that they were getting nothing going. Yeah. Uh, Ravens had 33 passing attempts and 41 total rushes. So that's 74 plays. Um, Tyler Huntley was responsible for seven of yeah. them, which should tell you everything you need to Tyler know. Tyler Huntley played the entire fourth quarter. God. Uh, so just, yeah, not a good game by the Seahawks. Um, some takeaways from that on my end. I think the Ravens are one of the class teams of the AFC. I would agree. You have, I think you have the Bengals. You've got the Ravens, potentially the Chiefs. I still don't fully believe in the Chiefs. Yeah, I think I think if Baltimore played anybody in the AFC this coming week, they would be favored. Yeah. I think most people agree that they are the most dangerous team in the AFC right now. Yeah. So with that being said, where do the Seahawks fall? If you're in a tier list right now, you've got your top tier NFC teams. You've got the Eagles. Is there another team in the top tier of the NFC? Is it Because I think the Cowboys are a step down. I think the Niners have become a step down. Yeah. Where, yeah. where are the Seahawks in that? In in the totality of the NFL, the Eagle or the Seahawks, in my opinion, are a tier. They're teetering between tiers three and four. Tier one is like true blues, Super Bowl content, like best of the best. And I would say, I would say the only teams I would put in that category right now are the Eagles, the Ravens, and Cincinnati. I think those three teams, without playing each other, would be favored against anybody else. Um, step below that is the teams that are contenders but need to figure some stuff out. And that's the Niners, the Bills, the Cowboys, the Chiefs, Dolphins, Miami. Yeah. Um, I think that's about it. Maybe Jacksonville. Maybe I would Jacksonville's say Jacksonville's in there. In there. Um, sorry if I'm missing any NFC teams. And then that third tier are like teams that are consistently good but not great. Um, that was, I think, tier three is where the Seahawks lie as well. Yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, they probably lie. They are five and three. I probably shouldn't drop them to tier four. Yeah, but I would say like Lions, Browns. Yes, Lions are like yeah between tiers two and three. I do think they're a tier three team. Browns are in there as well, and but Seahawks are one and I guess one and one against those two teams. I guess there's that. But. 
Yeah. That's their company they keep. Yeah. I think they're around there. And when it comes to that, it's like, yeah, we're probably going to make the playoffs, but I don't think there's any chance we win the Super Bowl this year. That's a better name for that tier three group. Probable playoff teams that nobody's really that scared of. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. This was a punch to the gut, and it's coming right after that nice Browns win and right at the front of this disgusting stretch that the Hawks are about to get into. I think this week is a bit of a, 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 a breath of fresh air for them, but things are only, they're not only going to get worse, but they're going to stay very, very tough their next five games. Um, and I am no longer super confident that they're going to come out of it above 500. So um, discouraging. Yeah, no. Uh, four weeks ago, we talked about their remaining schedule, and we said, hey, in this stretch of five games where we had to play the Bengals, Browns, and Ravens, and then we'll have to play the Commanders, and that's the end of this stretch of five that we were talking about, um, we needed to go 4-1 and one to be a 500 team over this stretch of 10 games. Yes. And in the end of our the end of our season's easier, but we needed to be good, and we, were, we haven't been good. We've been very average, very mediocre. Yeah, and it's been very off and on. This offense has been so inconsistent in the type of performance that they put out. The only consistency has been Gino's mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Um, even his best games have been have been very unimpressive compared to anything he was doing last year. And his worst games, like this week, are mind-boggling and make me very glad that it was a three-year contract and not a five-year contract. Um, honestly, yeah, I'm not sure how much there is to say. You're right. We are going to expect to lose probably three of the next five should be... At least. Yeah, expected losses. Um, So they haven't gotten done what they needed to against some of these easier opponents. Um, I think there's still a decent chance to make the playoffs, but I would be shocked if they won a a first-round game the way they're playing. I really think it would be worth uh, giving somebody else a look at quarterback. Um, a Drew, a Drew Lock type. I would, I would be down to give Drew a shot. He said, you know, say what you will about him, but Elway always drafted studs. Like he, he likes his big, tall, strong quarterbacks. And Drew Lock is all of those things, even though he never played great in Denver. But Gino never played great in New York either. So, um, I just, I'm not sure if Gino needs time. I'm not sure what it is, but he is a middle-aged quarterback that is playing like this. Um, and this is a team with a lot of young talent. So, yeah, Charbonnet's getting more and more run. I think Kenneth Walker is probably in his second to last significant Seahawks year before Charbonnet really takes over the role. You know, Smith and Jigba and Metcalf are both still young. Uh, I would like to see what Drew Locke can do. I would just like to see a game where we get, you know, 20, 20 passes from Drew Locke and can just see. Because, you know, if he goes... You know, eight for twenty. We can say, okay, never mind. That's just as bad. But I would like to see it because I'd be shocked if Drew Lock could have played worse against that Ravens defense than Geno did. Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit before the pod. Looking at Pro Football References team offensive statistics, the Seahawks sit right around twentieth in terms of the their ranking in the NFL in terms of yards, touchdowns. Um, I guess like turnovers, like just the big like offensive metrics. All the big things, completions. Um, yeah, all that is to say, they sit right around that twentieth margin. You know, wavering three or four spots up and down. And then the one thing that they they they've been good at 
is their yards per play on offense. Yeah. They are averaging 5.4 yards per play. Which is good for 10th in the NFL. Um, what does that mean, John? We were theorizing about this, and for what it's worth, we both took statistics, but neither one of us are statisticians. So, um, you know, we're talking with limited information here. But uh, if you are in the bottom 10 in most of the major cumulative offensive metrics, but you're in the top 10 in yards per play, my thought would be that that means you are not running the football enough. It means you are throwing the football a lot and you are not throwing the football efficiently because when you're throwing the football, your yards per play are significantly higher than when you're running the football, even if your running game is really successful and your throwing game is not because passing plays are big. When you hit a passing play, it's 15 yards and then you can miss three in a row. And then your average, you know, yards per play over those four plays is, you know, almost four yards a play. Or you can run the ball for, you know, three and a half yards per carry for five straight plays. And your yards per play are going to be lower, but you're actually converting first downs. Um, so my thought was that they're just not running the football enough. They're too committed to the pass. And the passing game hasn't been good for them. The eye test backs that up. We've talked a lot about Geno and his struggles. Um, and looking at their stats in terms of rushing attempts per game, they're 27th in the I NFL. I have them as 29th, yeah. Oh, yours might be updated for mm. the last game, but I have them at 27th in the NFL for rushing attempts per game. Um, the only teams below them for my list are New England, the Jets, Minnesota, Cincinnati, and Washington. Cincinnati is an anomaly there. They really, really struggled to run the ball early in the season and just went away from it. They've been running it fantastically the last two weeks, and we're going to really see them start to climb out of that list. I bet you they're one of the teams that's out of it for the list you're looking at. Um, Cincinnati's actually last in my list as well. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, but the rest of those teams are teams that are always behind, just you know, perpetual losers. Even the Jets, who've you know won a couple games, they're always coming back. They're not running the ball a lot. Um, all those teams are constantly on the comeback trail. Sam Howell is a mediocre quarterback. My, my Tom Brady, Sam Howell. But he's throwing the ball. He's a great fantasy quarterback. He's been throwing the ball 40 times a game. Washington has the most uh, passes attempted on the season. They're yeah. Number one. No surprise there because they've been constantly behind. And for Seattle, a team that was 5-2 and two coming into the week, to be on the list with a bunch of perpetual losers that can't run the ball because they aren't afforded that option speaks to Pete Carroll's, which is which is just so strange. Pete has always been the run-the-football guy. And this weird obsession, and I, I'm probably overstating this. I know that there have been circumstances and whatnot, but Gino is too involved in this offense for the way that he's struggling. He's just too involved, and it's not working. They're too committed to the pass. I know in this game they were running the ball horribly, but they were passing the ball horribly too. And they only ran the ball for like 14 total attempts. Um, And you're not giving your running game an opportunity to build. You're not giving them an opportunity to wear the defense down and then hit them late. That is a super common trend in the NFL, to see running games struggle early in the game, two, three yards a carry, then come the fourth quarter, Defenses are tired. They're tired. They're worn down. Running backs are in the groove. You're getting a feel for the players they're looking at. And then they start ripping off these 6, 8, 12-yard runs. And that's how you run the football in the NFL. And the Hawks just, they've done it like two times 
over the course of eight games. I you know, I don't know what else to say. They're not running it enough, and their quarterback stinks. I will add on to that. They just don't have the ball enough, dude. The Seahawks rank 29th in Oof. pass attempts. They, they have the 29th most pass attempts, and they have the 30th most rush attempts. They don't have the ball. That, yeah, that they, speaks, they give it away every single possession. They're turning it over, and they're not efficient. They're not They're not converting first down. They just don't. The games that the, their offense has clicked has been when the tight ends are involved in the game. Because obviously Geno's not hitting DK. He's not hitting Tyler Lockett enough. He's not hitting JSN enough. Bobo has three touchdowns. He has more touchdowns than JSN and DK. That's crazy. It's like we can't do anything because we're, our, our wide receivers aren't deceptive enough or whatever it is. We need to get our tight ends involved, and that comes down to Shane Waldron, our offensive coordinator. I don't think it's Pete. Pete's more of a defensive-minded coach. I, he does get final say, but you're he right. Does. You're right. It's um, Shane. And I just think like they're not doing the things that they need to do when it comes to their offense. Gino's not a huck-it-downfield guy. We've learned that. But he was last year. Yeah. And and the problem is he's trying to be last year's Gino this year. You can uh, nothing. I know it hasn't been the whole season, but DK this week is a perfect example. One reception... For 50 yards. And that's what Gino wants to do. He wants to just huck it down the field. And defenses have said, okay, wait a minute. We're going to step back and not let DK beat us over the top. You get one reception for 50 yards, and then he's gone the rest of the game. Because you're right. Whether it's Gino or their offensive coordinator, they're not playing dynamic football. They, When option one gets taken away, they don't have another option. How, do your, how does your best receiver in a game where you're throwing the ball for the last three quarters, how does your best receiver end up with one reception? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's frustrating to watch. It's not It's not fun football to watch. Everybody talks about the Seahawks defense being amazing. And the, the defense, for what we're saying right now, has been amazing. The fact that we've won five games with this type of offensive production has it's, been great. It's true. And they didn't look good against this team, but they're, they, you know, they're not perfect. And, they, like, they, they were playing defense the entire game. Um, and, yeah. Giving up 37 to this Ravens team, I, I'm not, I'm not blaming the defense for this loss. I think, I think Baltimore's a talented and I think the offense didn't even give them a chance. And, you know, guess what? When you're down 24 nothing and your team punts for the sixth consecutive time, uh, it's probably a little hard to throw that helmet on and get really fired up about hitting a dude. Yeah. So, um, there's that too. Uh, moving on. New week. Uh, we play the Commanders. Obviously, you think the Commanders will be in range of us if you take them as, as your value dogs. Um, ESPN matchup predictor gives us a 67.3% chance to win this game. How do you feel? I think that's appropriate. Um, I think the offense is going to look a lot better this week going up against this really piss-poor Commanders defense. Um, I expect it. We'll see. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel on Geno's season. Um, wow. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't think there's anything that he could show me the rest of the year that would convince me that he's the best option going forward. I could be wrong, but I, I really think I would be surprised if we saw a 300 yard, three touchdown game from Gino the rest of the year. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so the offense might look better, but that doesn't even matter to me at this point. In my mind, that's kind of a sunk cost. Um, I'm really curious to see how their defense looks this week. I think it's a big game for their defense coming off that pounding um this washington offense has been slow to start and fast to finish um they have been awesome in the second half 
Sam Howell can move the ball with his legs, and he's got some talented receivers down the field, and you know, Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin and Logan Thomas. So I really would like to see how they step up and respond this week against a young offense. I'd love to see Witherspoon get involved. I'd love to see their line play a little better. Um, I I think it's right to say that they have about a 67% chance to win. That's the thing about plus six. You know, I'm not sure they're going to cover. I'd be surprised if they dominated this Washington team. Washington just has enough playmakers on the, on the offensive side of the ball. I think it'll be close. Um, but I, I think, I think a win is fair and they better win because if they don't win this week, goodness gracious, don't look at the rest of the schedule. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think rushing wise commanders and, and the Seahawks are pretty even. Um, looking at the stats, Brian Robinson has 113 carries for 450 yards and five touchdowns. Walker has 126 carries for 530 yards and six touchdowns. Like it's pretty, pretty even all yeah. things considered. Robinson's better through the air though. He's more of a dynamic dual threat. Yeah. Um, in terms of receptions for their lead reception receiver, McLaurin, he has 47 receptions compared to DK's 28. It's just, it's so much easier to target McLaurin. Now that something could be something to be said about, um, DK's ability to get open, like we've mentioned a couple times in the past. Um, Howell is susceptible to some interceptions, which might lead to some nice defensive plays for the Seahawks and the ability to keep us in the game. He's also been sacked, I believe, the most times of any quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, and it's on pace to be sacked more times than any quarterback in the NFL in the history of the game. Love it. What a a fucking gladiator Sam Howell is. God, it's good thing he's not in the room right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just think it's, it's honestly... A really even matchup offensively, I think. Obviously, the Commanders are even... God, I hate to say this. The Commanders are more dynamic than the Seahawks on offense. Far more. And it, yeah. it's because of the quarterback position. For the record, I would, tra- I would trade Geno for Sam Howe in a heartbeat. Yeah. Like, without skipping a beat. Yeah. His ability to move the ball with his, leg, with his legs and his creativity is just something... Geno looks like an old, stale piece of bread. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I honestly really like the way Sam Howe's looked. Obviously, holding on to the ball a little bit too long, making some risky choices, but that's what happens when you're, you know, constantly losing games and on the comeback trail, you gotta take some shots. Um, yeah, I do think, I do think they're pretty close there. Yeah, Gino's just not, he's not a Trevor Lawrence. He's not a stand in the pocket and make those kinds of passes, and no. he's not mobile either. He needs to have something. He can't, you know, Lamar is not great at passing in the pocket, but he's great at getting out of the pocket and getting open. Yeah, um, his inability to look past his like second read is really discouraging. That's yeah. something you know the great pocket guys like Trevor are great at is working through five reads if they need to. You know, um, yeah, Gina's just not doing it. Yeah. So all it is to say, I am optimistic about the Seahawks, but I would not be surprised if they lost this game to the Commanders and this in the season kind of went down the drain in this in these next few weeks. Yeah, if they lost this week, they'd be five and four, but. With their schedule coming up, if they lose to this commander's team, I've already thrown in the flag on or the towel on Gino, and and if they lose this week, I I'd throw it in on the team. Yep. To happier notes, John. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's take a quick break. The audience needs a palate cleanser. Yeah. Um. And when you come back, uh, a little UW football deal. Okay, we are going way longer than we thought we would already. So Gino has that effect. Yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to break down the Huskies' uh, previous matchup against USC. We'll talk about Utah and what we think. Um, we do have some thoughts about the AP poll and why the Huskies are not in that top four. Um, 
college football playoff situation. Um, but that might be something for another day. So let's break down that USC game, which was one of the most exciting college football games of the entire season. Absolutely electric. Uh, super, super fun to watch. 52-42 win by the Huskies. Um, and it was just two prize fighters that did not know how to hold up their gloves in a defensive stance, just throwing haymakers at each other left and right. Um, and while the defensive effort of UW was a little bit discouraging, you also got to give a ton of credit to Caleb Williams. He made three or four plays on fourth down with a defensive lineman wrapped around his ankles where he just converted in a big way. I was really impressed by Caleb. Um, obviously a big fumble. Um, but I thought, I thought he was electric. Um, and I was really impressed with the UW offense in particular. One guy who was responsible for 256 yards and it wasn't 256 yards through the air. It was 256 on the ground. Your boy, Dylan Johnson. Yeah, he had a great game. Um, averaged almost 10 yards a carry. He had 26 carries for 256 yards. God, he sucks. Four touchdowns. That's insane. Dylan Johnson had an insane week. He had as many yards on the ground as Penix had in the air. Get that man on my fantasy team ASAP. <laughs> and you know what? We've been calling for this. Yeah. We have been calling. Dylan has been the workhorse all year. Um, and even on the games where they're not running it a ton, he'll get, you know, 14 attempts for 100 yards, and it's like, wait, why didn't we run the ball 15 more times? Um, and I I was really impressed and happy with the UW play calling, that they really leaned on Dylan Johnson in the game. I was really worried in that second half they'd be putting the ball in Penix's hands too much, um, and they didn't. They just kept going to the well, and he kept gashing. And you could argue that that was the downfall of USC. Obviously, they put up 42 points. You know, they did everything they possibly could. But, you know, Austin Jones for USC was 11 for 127. He was averaging 11 yards per carry. And then Darwin Barlow was 2 for 44, 22 yards per carry. My question is, at that point, I love you, Caleb Williams. Why is he throwing a pass? Why, why are you throwing passes when your running backs are averaging over 10 yards a carry? He's just the most dynamic player on the field. Like, he, you, you have to give him that opportunity I, to make those plays. I know. And I know that if he, he was obviously never throwing, the defense would adjust. But yeah. I'm just saying, I don't think you can do enough handing the ball off when you're running the ball the way both of these teams were. Um, I just wanted to go, this game was so, there was so much scoring. Um, I want you to really get into it, but I just want to give a brief overview of kind of how it went because it really shows you how small the margins were on this game. Um, the first 28 points for each team, so the first eight touchdowns of the game were scored back and forth. So it was USC touchdown, UW touchdown, 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 touchdown. Um, absolutely wild. And then the you know biggest play of the first half was the Caleb Williams fumble yep. uh, late in the half trying to lead a two-minute drive, held on to the ball too long, got stripped, and then who else but Dylan Johnson punched it in at the end end of the first half to give UW its first lead of the game. So it had been USC was up or tied that whole first half, and they were just trading blows. There were there were two punts in there early on. But other than those two punts, it was all touchdowns and the fumble in the first half. There were two punts in the first quarter, and every other possession was a touchdown other than the USC fumble. And then in the second half started out with that disastrous Penix pick 
so bad, so untimely. You absolutely can't let it happen. You might feel less strongly about that than me, but that was a really tough look. And then three more touchdowns back and forth, and then UW really kind of grabbed control in the fourth quarter. But the margin was so small. It was the tiniest mistakes were costing the team because every time you gave it up, the other team was scoring. Really amplified this plays where a Penix pick in another game might not be a big deal, but in this game, you just can't allow it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of what we talked about last week uh, was incorporated in this game. We talked about how it was going to be either UW was going to win a close one, USC was going to win a close one, or UW was going to blow them out. And it's just what we thought, yeah. Yeah. And it would be talked about the turnover margins, how that had to be small. Um, Caleb Williams' turnover at the end of that first half was huge. Massive. USC started with the ball, and we were able to get the ball. Or USC started with the ball at the start of the game. And we were able to get that touchdown, take the lead going into the half where we were going to receive the kickoff. Now, obviously, Penix's interception kind of derails that. But, but that was the opportunity. And that shows how big the fumble was. Exactly. Because we could have gotten it to two there. And then it shows how big the pick was, is that you give it... when Yeah, when the offenses are performing, you really get an idea of how massive those turnovers can be. Yeah, yeah. So really, really big game by two big big game quarterbacks. Um, Penix with two touchdowns. Kind of a small game for his, for his standards, but Johnson being able to run, run that ball in and punch it in four times was, was huge. Yeah, and um, he was 22 for 30 for 215, yeah. two touchdowns. And, and he's also had a rushing touchdown, yeah. so we'll give him that. And I don't want to be like overly critical of him. I think we have been in recent weeks. He was good. He was amazing, yeah. Yeah, I, but yeah, he, he had a good game. I don't want to rag on him. Yeah, you know who we didn't talk about a lot, um, who we were both noticing while we were watching, was uh, Polk. Polk had a huge game. Um, obviously, Adunze had 82 yards on five interse- or five receptions, so technically a bigger statistical game, but I feel like Polk had a huge impact on third downs. Third yeah. downs were huge for UW, being able to get it to Polk and let him get to the outside and just get eight yards, just enough to get that first down. Adunze is not really that kind of threat. No, he's much more of a first and second down threat, and then Polk is is the safety blanket. And he's mm-hmm. I'm, I'm quite confident that at least in the league's last couple of weeks, Penix is more thankful for Polk than he is for Adunze. Obviously, Adunze profiles better as an NFL guy and is the most talented receiver on the team. Polk is so shifty. He's quick, he's got good hands, and he just knows where to be, particularly against his own defenses. Um, he's just really, really sharp. But you're right. They both had five receptions. I bet you Adunze had maybe one on third down, and Polk probably had four on third down. He was just, he was always there on those third and mediums. Um, I love that kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's wrap that up there. I think the this is one of those games where it's, you know, very different style of game than the UW-Oregon game. Goodness. But yeah. The UW-Oregon game and then the UW-Arizona State game and then this game are just three completely different football games. Yes. And I'm sure we'll see another completely different one this weekend with the Utah game. Yeah. So let's break that game down a little bit. Look at that transition. I'm a, I'm a big segue guy. How does he do it, folks? <laughs> Uh, UW has a 69.1% chance to win this game against Utah. Um, looking at it, and we've talked about this previously, Utah is the team with the good defense, but not a lot of offense. We said that, and it's kind of like the opposite of USC, um, which is a little worrisome considering UW has had some trouble against teams with good defenses. Yes. Um, but break it down for me, John. What do you think about that line and that, uh, that matchup prediction? Yeah, I think... I think Utah is drastically overrated, um, and I'm saying that that can only hurt UW. 
Um, I, I really think Utah being 13 is, is a big overestimation of their talent. Um, and it's only bad for UW because if UW loses to them, in my mind, it's just a worse loss. Yeah. And if they win, it's just a worse win. I would love Utah to be their best self so that, you know, the game is, is potentially better for Washington, but I really don't. Their defense is, is good. But they really like to be really good against suboptimal competition. They gave up 21 to Oregon State. They gave up 32 to USC. They gave up 35 to Oregon. Um, it's possible for good offenses to score on this team. And they, when playing good defenses, their offense is bad. They scored seven against Oregon State and six against Oregon. They put up 34 against the USC defense, which... You know, was a just joke that entire game. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's not exactly impressive. Um, they're coming off a 55 to three schlacking of Arizona State. Should have been us. Not, not a great sign yeah, for sh- us. Yeah. Should have <laughs> been us. But, uh, but I really think that this is a, a Utah team with a solid defense that's worse than Oregon's and an offense comparable with any of the bottom of the Pac 12. Um, I'm really not that scared of their offense. Now, yeah, you know this is still a big game. Obviously, nothing's guaranteed. I I would I would think that we have more like a seventy five or eighty percent chance to win this game. Realistically, um, I don't think their defense is going to be able to hold us down. The matchup I'm really interested in again is can this UW defense do something comparable to Oregon and Oregon State and hold this Utah team to you know less than seventeen points? That would be great. Less than twenty one points and UW will win. Hold him to less than 21. Yeah. Uh, my big thought is that Utah has a really good run defense. I don't think we're going to see nearly the type of reduction that Johnson had against yeah. USC. I think it will be more similar to that ASU game, to be honest. Uh, but in terms of their passing defense, there's really no comparison. Like, I think UW is going to be able to gash them down the seams. Um and just take yeah. those take those big swings, which is how UW wants to play yeah. anyway. You know, like I want to see Johnson really involved every single week, but if the matchup calls for this team to throw the football a lot more, it's not like that's our Achilles heel. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the UW defense in general, and in this game in particular? I like there have been moments where this defense looks like it can be like middling, but then there are times where you're like, "What's this group doing?" And then there are times against Oregon where they. Stop them on fourth down and in inches. Yeah, things like that. Yeah. Um, they've had they've had some big plays and big moments, but it's the drive to drive that just. I think that's what it is. Is the defense is I, I like saying this. The defense plays to its competition, where it's like, hey, if our offense is scoring a bunch, they're not going to play as hard. If our offense isn't scoring at all, they're going to turn it up. Um, and I think that's just kind of how it works. Obviously, I would love for them to turn it up every single game, but that Oregon game was a huge indicator of our defense being able to be elite. And I think that Arizona State game, obviously, Arizona State's not a great team, but the Arizona State, we scored a t- we, our one touchdown that week was with our defense. It's like once we get to those points and in those tough situations, our defense has been able to pull it out. Um, and I think the same can be said for this game against uh, Utah. It's just going to be if, if we get far enough ahead, I don't think Utah has the type of explosive offense to keep up with us. But I would expect them to be able to score 21 to 28 points if we get up to... If we score 42, I would expect that our defense kind of pulls it off a little bit as as they've done the entire season. Um, it's been a long time since UW has covered. Um, 
That's in, true. In they were the covering machines early on. Um, I think they actually technically did cover against USC because the line was minus three. Yeah. But it's been a long time since we actually absolutely like smacked a team around. That, yeah, yeah. And I think that's... It would be nice to get one here. It would be nice to kind of set the tone for the end of this season. As we said, these these, these last four games are going to be a huge stretch. And, uh, yeah, this is this is the one that we need to continue to put the hurting on people. Yeah, I would love to see that, too. You know, that's the real reason that Oregon, even though they're ranked below us, as, you know, according to the AP poll, a more likely chance of making the playoffs. Um, it's because when they play the mid-to-low ranked teams, they smack them. Um and UW is undefeated, but we have narrowly won great games against great competition. But those medium-tier teams, and even some low-tier teams, we've scraped by on, and that's just not good enough. We need to see a complete game from this UW team against Utah, against Oregon State, against Washington State. How about all three? But, yeah, this Utah team's a great place to start. Our offense can score. Our defense should be able to hold this team to a reasonable margin. I would love to see, like... A 35 to 21 game. Give me a two touchdown win. I think that's super realistic considering the talent level. One last thing on Utah. They have played four teams that were at least ranked at the time this season. They won 14 to 7 against UCLA, lost 21 to 7 to Oregon State. They beat USC by two, and they got smacked by Oregon, and you'll have us coming up now. So they're two and two in those games. But their two losses are against the two teams that are still ranked, and their two teams are against teams that are no longer in the AP Top 25. Yeah. I really think this Utah team is, you know, 28th best in the country or something like that. I'm really surprised to see they're at 13. Um, and once again, that's only bad for us. That means, you know, all the outcomes are just going to be worse than what they would be if this Utah team was really good. But with that in mind... Give me two scores. Yeah. So, final thoughts. The line is minus nine and a half in Washington's favor. Uh, I think we cover that. I think the the over under is fifty one and a half. I think we blow that out of the water. Um, I'm have high hopes for the Husky team being able to really throw this Utah defense under the bus and um, get and pull ahead. What do you think? Uh, I think you are correct. I think this is going to be the week. Um, I still really believe in this UW team as a playoff contender. I think their offense is so dynamic. Really nice to see their offense bounce back in a huge USC game where we saw the margin was tiny. You had to be on your A game. And despite one real hiccup from Penix, which was in the middle of a great drive, um, they looked pretty flawless. Um, so I'm, I'm super encouraged. I think their offense is going to look great. And I believe that this defense has the guys. We see them in big moments come up with these stops. I'm not sure if it's the coordinator or what, but they need to put it together and play a more complete game. I think they get it done this week. I think it's going to be 14 to 17 points, so I'll take nine and a half. Nice. Well, with that, any final notes, John, before we get off this extra long pod that we didn't think was going to happen? Goodness gracious. We really we wanted to do 30 minutes, and here we are at an hour. <laughs> um, no, no thoughts, uh Keep your ears open for another podcast coming out this week. Um, excited to talk about the Zags, but today I'm just excited for a different dog. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, those are the only two that I can think of. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. We were talking about getting some TikTok content out there, so maybe that's going to happen sometime soon. Uh, you can find me, Tyler, at Tycart50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John on the walls at Smith Rock, baby, sending those 10 Bs, right? That's what happened, right? <laughs> uh, thank you very much. And, oh, fuck. Go Dogs, go Dogs, baby. Yeah, gotta be. I wanted to say Go Hawks, but I just don't yeah, have the no. faith. I, yeah. <laughs> I was also thinking about it. I don't have the heart. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host. Damn it, Tyler. I do my best. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I am your primary host, John Kerry, joined always by his lesser... But equal host. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Fuck. Nice fucking dry. Okay, dude. it goes back to you, <laughs> asshole. <laughs>